It was a week since my second escape from the vigils. It had taken a mind-numbing amount of time to find someone who would let me borrow their phone, call my partner Harris, get rescued by friends, and get home to finally warm up. Explaining the whole experience had been even more exhausting. At least now I knew I wasn't facing the pigeons completely alone. There were spirits out there who didn't want to see me taken for whatever reason. That alone made me feel a tiny bit better about leaving my flat. Francis had become obnoxious since the attack. None of the windows would open, the curtains remained closed even during the day, and the front door was getting harder and harder to keep open, as if he was leaning against it every time I went to leave. I had added my new information to the whiteboard in my living room. It was looking more and more like the ramblings from a weird dream. So I was being targeted by the pigeons because I was a human who had seen the dead. And I saw ghosts because, as Francis had told me, unlucky one time is enough, which I took to mean it had just been chance the first time when I had come across the bridge. But I knew that this had happened to other people too. My friend Gabriel, for instance, who had met the underpass ghost. And then my partner Harris and all the people from the hostel had seen the dead too. Were they all in danger? And why was I now seeing ghosts all the time? Gabriel hadn't seen a single one since he had run away from the underpass that day. None of it made any sense to me. I needed to get away from what was fast becoming my own personal conspiracy board. I stuck on a pair of boots and wrestled the door open to take a walk. There's a meadow just beyond the college next to my flat, the perfect place to relax and unwind. The land is part wilderness, part community garden. It was hard won by the neighbourhood, the council wanted to build over it, and now it's used daily by people for all kinds of things. We even have a beehive at the moment. Most of all, it's a place for children. Before it was abandoned and left to grow wild, it was a playing field sometime back in the 80s. Nowadays, several nurseries in the area use it as a place to teach kids about the outdoors and give children without gardens a chance to get muddy and see some wildlife. Even as I felt myself relax, I couldn't help but wonder what kind of spirits I could come across on the meadow. What kind of ghosts would have it as their territory? As I entered, I looked across the grass, thinking about how it had changed since I'd moved into the neighbourhood. It was well looked after now. There was no litter on the ground, rows of vegetable patches and a little orchard lined one side of the space. There were brightly painted signs on the fences, and I could smell a bonfire in the recent built fire pit. I wondered how changing the land affected the spirits living on it. If the council had got their way and built new flats or whatever, would it have hurt the ghosts? Would they have forgotten who they were without the land to remind them? Would they have become like the pigeons? Or was the land already changed enough now that they already had? What kinds of memories do you need to keep your identity? I did a couple of loops around the warm pathways, enjoying the cold air and the slowly setting sun. Days were getting shorter and shorter, our endless Scottish summer days turning into our winter nights that give us only a few precious hours of daylight. As I made my last lips, I could hear the sound of children laughing in the distance. The street lamps around me switched on and began to warm up, still only a warm glow. Their light barely hits the centre of the meadow, surrounded as it is by trees. I idly wondered, who is letting their children play here after dark? There's a thicker patch of trees on the east side of the meadow, with a treehouse on one end. As I walked towards it, the laughter grew louder. Through the trees, I began to see tiny flickering lights. As I grew closer, I saw that the lights were in fact coming from the same place as the laughter. 
Running through the trees and playing in the treehouse were tiny, ghostly children, luminous and translucent, each one glowing with a pale light. I felt intrusive, so I turned to walk away. As I did so, I stepped on a branch, breaking it with a loud crack. All at once, the children froze, and their lights changed from pale and calm to a dark red. I stood still, trying to look as harmless as possible. My ghost fatigue was reaching new heights. The children moved towards me, and I felt suddenly very afraid. But then, one by one, the lights faded to a soft pink, and then back to the pale yellow light they had been before. I wondered if they had heard of me as well, or whether it was just obvious that I couldn't hurt them if I tried. Some of them went back to playing, whilst others lingered, as if curious. I gave a small wave and a smile, and they smiled back. I felt a little sad, seeing so many ghost children. I hoped they were happy here, at least. I headed home, my plans to take a break from ghosts thwarted, but still, somehow, a little more at peace. Glasgow Ghost Stories is written and produced by Libby Thomas. Credits are read by Harris Jones. The theme music is by Kevin MacLeod and can be found on the Free Music Archive. Sound effects are from freesound.org. This episode comes out on the 1st of October. Help us celebrate the spookiest month of the year by recommending us to your friends. If you ever see a ghostly child singing eerily in the woods, remember, it's more scared of you than you are of it. Probably. Probably.